I want to share a story in the Gospels, and I, I don't know if you'll pick up um, what I'm on the heart of what I'm trying to say, but in the last number of weeks, but especially this last week, um, I have been on the phone with pastors. Um, texts, emails, whatever, um, there is something happening throughout the church in the Western world, and pastors are throwing up their hands, and um, I want to speak to that. And if you don't hear it, it's maybe because you haven't heard what's going on, but it won't won't hurt to hear it. But here, here's the story that I'm basing it on, by that I mean I'm not really going to um, speak directly about the story. I want to see what's going on in the story, which is what we need to do. And so I'll read the whole thing. It's in Matthew chapter 14 and in verse 22. Um, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat, go ahead of him to the other side while he sent the crowds away the crowds being those who had been fed in feeding the 5,000. And after he sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When it was evening, he was there alone. But the boat was already a long distance from the land, battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. In the fourth watch of the night, um, the fourth watch was from 3 o'clock in the morning until 6, and so this could be 3 a.m., it could be 3.30, it was sometime in there. In the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. They said, it's a ghost. They cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, take courage, it is I, that could be well translated, I am. Do not be afraid. Peter said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. And Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But seeing the wind, he became frightened, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus stretched out his hand, took hold of him, and said to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind stopped. And those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, You are certainly God's son. You know that story. Um, have you ever noticed it's um, a strange story in the um, scripture because... It's the only time it's mentioned, which I find strange. Um, Mark doesn't mention it, and that's even stranger because Mark was Peter's secretary. Mark's gospel is really Peter's sermons, and Mark took them down and made it a gospel, and he doesn't mention it. And um, then I, I, I look at it, it's... Well, what can I say? 
Uh, I can't even find a real meaning for it. You know, when Jesus healed the sick, I get it. When, when he's going to bring salvation to Zacchaeus or the woman in adultery, I get it. But walking on the water, um, what do I get? It doesn't fit. I mean, there's a point where I would say, and some of you will be horrified, but who cares? Walking on the water, you know, it's it's not like parting the Red Sea. Now that that is going to change everything. For the whole, that's going to be the anchor point of the Old Testament. It's not uh, like Jordan parting and the people go over into Canaan. Uh, it's not even like Elisha, um, Elijah. Uh, being taken now Elisha takes his cloak and hits the waters of Jordan and they part you know there's there's many references to water in the scripture and they've all got some specific meaning that carries on but this one I mean what what are we really looking at here Jesus was taking a stroll on the water through the waves at three in the morning um, and at least Matthew's gospel tells us that one of the disciples who were in the boat full of terrified people, he wanted to join Jesus, and Jesus liked the idea. Um, that's it. And um, I've gone back to that story over and over, uh, but I come up with only a few conclusions. Um, here is the story of a man who is going to do what he's never seen before, never heard before, but it, there's pieces of what he's been taught in the last weeks that make him do it. And I think that, for us anyway, is what I'm very concerned about. In the last few weeks, months, we, we have been going into areas of the gospel that may be for some of you, it is totally new territory. You, you've just plain never heard it before. And, and for some of you, it would go as far as turning everything you know of the gospel on its head and introducing you to something new, refreshing, and a seeing of the living Jesus as you've never seen before. Well, my question then in what I'm looking at here is, uh, what, what are you going to do with that? That there's, there's a point where you've learned so much, you'd better start doing something with it, yeah. or it's going to become sour. That's how it works. Um, there are a number of people who they believe that if they believe what they've heard is true, then they believe. No, you don't. You don't believe anything's true until you're doing it. Yeah. It's, it comes to the point here is something I've never heard before. I've never seen it before. I've never seen anybody do anything with it before. But now I know it's true. And at that point, we have to, and my phrase over the years has been, act as if it's true. Because my brain doesn't know what to do with this. I, I've got a thousand yes buts, but I know this is true. Then jump over the yes buts with act as if it's true. Um, so we're beginning to build a lifestyle on a number of facts. 
It's not believing that the facts are true. It's actually doing something with it to the point where everything that constitutes my life is now beginning to change. I'm beginning to apply what it. And so I, that's my first approach to this. What are we doing with what has been revealed to us? And I say that to myself too, and I've used it over the years. Don't, don't just keep studying. Stop. What are you doing with what has been revealed? And so this story in the gospel, as I say, I'm not so much talking about walking on the water, like it's there, but I, I want to hear the challenge of the Holy Spirit to act on what has been taught. Taught, how does it affect my innermost spirit? How does it affect my emotions? How does it affect the way I think, my my whole outlook on life, my attitude to life, my, my whole behavior? And, and so here it is. Jesus takes a stroll on the water at three in the morning, and Peter joins him. The only way you can understand a text, but certainly a whole story, is to see where it fits you know, it's called context. It's not enough just to read the story. Where does it fit in the whole flow of things? And Matthew is very good at that. He sets up whole, you get on this day, on that day, and you follow Jesus through through a period of time. And this is a time in the Gospels where things are changing, that is, Jesus is not merely doing stuff. He's not merely saying stuff. He's involving the disciples. Yeah. I don't know if you've noticed it, but there came a time when Jesus no longer was the only one healing the sick. Yeah. He got his disciples. He said, now you go and you do it. And obviously he taught them and sent them and they went and they healed the sick and demons were cast out and they come back beside themselves uh, and even the demons listen to us. This is, this is a brand new thing. So they were sent. They now do the talking. They're now saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand and they are healing the sick. That's happened. Uh, the night before this was the feeding of the 5,000. Do you remember how that started? The people were hungry. It wasn't an emergency, but, but it's a nice time. Let's have a picnic. And it's, it's a time to teach the disciples something. Think, think of that. The feeding of the 5,000 was more about the disciples than the 5,000. Um, cause Jesus didn't have to feed them. I've been there. I've sat on that same hillside. You can walk from there to Bethsaida, to Capernaum. It's, you're not in the wilderness. It's, it's very accessible, um, especially to people who are used to walking the hills. So why does he, he say that he, they come to him and they say the people are hungry. It's, it's supper time and there's no stores around here. Shall we send them away? Good idea. Uh, Jesus said, and this is the key to the thing, he says, you give them to eat. See, Jesus didn't say, I, I will work a miracle. Yeah. He's sitting back and saying, sure, they're hungry, you give them to eat. Uh, and he goes through, especially in John's gospel. And, and it ends, of course, Jesus does it. But 
uh, we, we've talked about it before. He fed the 5,000 through the disciples. He didn't make a mound of food uh, and, and they got wheelbarrows to carry it to the people. He gave them the, the little tiny pieces of bread and fish and, and they went and as they fed the people, so it was multiplied in their hands. They did it. And they did it in this relationship that Jesus is building between him and them. That he is the source of, of, of this wondrous love power, but now they are relating to him and becoming the dispensers of that power. And now, okay, that's where we are. And if they've got a brain in their head, they're very excited about what happened last night. I, I know if if I went out with a, a piece of bread in my hand that wouldn't even make a decent hors d'oeuvre for Andrew, and, and now I begin to, I'm going to peel it off, and as I peel it off, it won't go away. You know, I'm peeling it and it is multiplying in my hands. I think I, I wouldn't get any sleep that night. Understand, this is the context. This is what has been happening. Jesus says, you do it, you do it, you do it. But you don't do it in and of yourself. I, I'm, I'm there, the, the source of the doing of this. So you could say Jesus has changed his teaching method with the disciples. He's not just telling them. He, he's telling them, now get involved and do this. Not listening, but listening and doing. You, you get that. It's lab time. They're, they're, they've had the tea. Now get in the lab and let, let's do this. Well, with that as the background, tonight at three in the morning, they're going to be taken to another level. He's going to show his desire for total and just about unlimited involvement understand this and it's it's heavy on me especially for those of us here as i said that have heard things in the last weeks the gospel is about total participation it's not about being a student the image of the gospel is not a library and a student the image of the gospel is get out there and do it but do it united with him who is your life so as they're going to say when this has gone the whole way to the fullness of the gospel understood, Paul is going to say, I live, yet it's not I, it's Christ. I'm living, I'm doing, and what I'm doing and living is beyond my own mind and brain to understand. But I'm living in and from Christ. My person as a human being can never be defined outside of Christ living in me. So after the feeding of the multitude, he hurries them to the boat. They must have wondered what's going on. He hurries them to the boat. And he says, you, you get, I'm going to the mountain to pray. So that is a question, but they've learned not to ask those sort of questions. Yeah. You know, how are you going to get from this mountain across here? You send us away, the boat's gone, transporter's gone. Now on the Sea of Galilee, it's uh, it can be a terrifying place to be. 
the where the mountains are around the the wind shears down and within seconds you can be in the middle of the mother of storms and, and well today was not quite as bad as other days but they're battling strong head winds feel it uh they don't have any sails up the wind is too strong there there's spray if it isn't rain in the wind and and the 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 rigging is is howling with the wind going through it you know how that is the water around is swirling and agitated and it's threatening them crashing over the sides of the boat they had to pull out the oars as i say the sails won't work tonight and so they're pulling on their oars against the wind and the waves they they're soaked from the spray that's coming over the side and and because it's not another kind of storm that the clouds would be racing across the sky and the the moon to be seen through the clouds and occasionally on the water if you ever been in a situation like that these were fishermen for the most part they had respect for the power of the water this was a serious night it's becoming a life-threatening situation okay that's all they've got on their mind and the spray dripping from the end of their nose and their soaked clothes and then they see in in that dappled moonlight on the water they see this person walking through the waves i mean don't say this too quickly we've read this too but come on <laughs> somebody walking through the waves just like their sand dunes you know he's walking up the wave and over the wave and around the wave you know have you seen him his hair streaming in the wind is is robe soaked with the spray but it's billowing out behind him and he's strolling that that's the only way you could describe what he's actually said there he's not marching it's a sort of well what would you do 3 in the morning you're strolling through the waves and, and and coming actually toward them but his course is he's going to go past them they're gripped with absolute terror i can understand it they're more afraid of this person walking on the water than they are of the storm that could begin to drown them It's a terrifying thing. If you saw somebody walking on the water at three in the morning, I think you might have a similar feeling. Might, but this this was a primitive society. Uh, the the little places around the Galilee, uh, they 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 would be people who superstition filled their lives. If you go into third world today. uh much of what governs the whole township or village is superstition uh, you you begin to see ghosts and phantoms everywhere if if you know if you that ilk and and so that's how it was the galilee was a strange place as i said storms can come up terrible storms in a moment weird stuff you know and and on the other side there there's at least one guy who rages through the tombs and cuts himself and screams and yells and 
Here they are in the middle of the Galilee and they see somebody walking on the water and they, they, they're screaming, it's a ghost, it's a ghost. It's a phantom, a hostile spirit from the dead, a demon from the deep. I mean, they have no explanation. It was beyond anything that they'd ever seen in their life, anything they'd even dreamed of, thought of, discussed. There was no file for this at three o'clock in the morning. Now, understand this event, it was Jesus in the middle of it. He, obviously, he's the one on the water. Think about this. We want a religion that fits the neat boxes of our natural mind. I want a religion that is predictable. I want everything in it to be explainable. I want logic. I want, I want a religion that doesn't upset the scientific community. I want atheists to say, at least I'm a sensible man, you know? And so religion, in all its fashions, forms, and faces, has a Jesus, but a Jesus confined to the limits of human belief. You, you, you follow me. I, I want a Jesus that does what I think he should do. That would, he would be a Jesus who does what a sensible person would do. I've reduced him. I've reduced him to a God who can be filed away under G and I don't have to open the cabinet again because it's all so sensible. Um, and of course, the gospel that comes out of that lands on my shoulders sensibly that I've got to try and be the best person I could possibly be. And then you see someone walking on the waves. That's really upset everything. Um, because what we see does not fit into anything that my human brain can talk about. You've got to understand this gospel is 300% supernatural. We believe in a God who is infinite love, three persons, one God, one God because he is love, and a God who so desires us that he will come to us and join himself forever to the human race and therefore include the human into who he is. Um, that that is, is not religion. You, you, you're talking about a virgin birth. You're talking about a, a, a baby being born yeah. and angels and... Uh, come on, let, let's, let's get to something. The Sermon on the Mount is a lot safer. Uh, it's got a lot of sense to it. But, but a religion that doesn't fit my neat box, don't know what to do with it. I want a Jesus that's, that's confined, imprisoned in the limitations of what I think is sensible. No wonder they screamed out. This is all supernatural. This, this has kicked to the traces. 
My whole carriage is out of control. I, I don't know what to do with this. And then across the wind, howling wind, but there's a voice that comes through the wind and through the spray. Don't be afraid. I am. And his voice, though shouted, brings with it assurance that everything's well, everything's safe. But now I've got a bigger problem. He's not a ghost, okay. He's not a ghost. He just assured us of that. But he's a man, like me, and he's walking on the water. Now that can't happen, you see. I'm, I'm confronted again with who is this Jesus? He's God. But he's God joined to our humanities, our humanity joined to God. But he's not a ghost. A ghost is other than us. This one, we had breakfast with him this morning. This one is one of us doing the impossible. And that only, that's bigger, I could handle a ghost better than this. This, this, they're threatened, they're afraid. And their fear is in a boat that's bucking like a rodeo horse. And here comes the voice that carries with it the love of God, the peace of God, the joy of God. And the one who is saying it is master of this storm, walking, not, not as one who's afraid, but let's say strolling through the storm, the walking wonder. And the men are struck dumb. They don't know what to do. Paralyzed, clinging to the side of the boat. Hopefully they didn't drop their oars. Oh, that'd be in a big mess. The, the, and Peter, let me feel this. Peter steps to the side of the boat. That in itself would be quite a, you're, you're, the whole platform you're walking on is bucking, and you cling to the side of the boat. And the scripture says, Peter answered him. Now, answered even in english that's got a weight to it he didn't yell back at him he answered him but that word in the greek language is a special word it means i'm making a thought out response to a word that's been spoken to me or an action in which i've become involved it means a considered word, thought it out. It means a discerning word that I've weighed what's going on here. I've evaluated the situation so that my response is a suitable word and it fits what's going on. It's hard to think of Peter ever coming up with something like that anyway. But to do it in the middle of this storm to do it when your brain is almost frozen with fear and with feeling everything I had in my filing cabinet has been destroyed. I, I don't know where we are. I'm feeling out of control. And Peter answered. And he's answering again, remember, shouting through the spray, shouting through the wind at a Jesus who's, who's over there. A word, a response word, a considered word, a thought-out word that's evaluated the situation. What's going on here? 
And what he comes up with, to use that word, means it's a suitable word. It, it, it fits it. Peter said it's not a ghost. It's, it's him. He said so. Now, I don't understand this, but I think Peter's beginning to wake up to get used to that. You don't understand very much at all. <laughs> but this, I think, Peter has got. He said, I don't say he said, I'm saying that he said. But in his mind, you see, something's going on to make him give a suitable response. He's fitting this in to something else and saying, I get it, I get it. I've got a discerning word here. The last months, he shared his power with us. He hasn't just done acts of power. We've participated in his life. We participated in his mission. We, partic- we actually partook of his power to heal the sick. Mm-hmm. Remember, this is going on. It's only taking seconds, but it's fitting, it's clicking. And yesterday, feeding the 5,000, it was in my hands it happened. He did it, we did it. I get it. He's inviting us to join him now in his authority over the material creation. And he's teasing us. He's not telling us. He doesn't say that we've got to do it. He's just teasing us. Strolling across the water saying, hi guys, you know, it's... What Peter has come to the conclusion, he didn't have any scriptural authority for it. His Bible, the Old Testament, said nothing about this. And really, Jesus hasn't exactly said it. But Peter knows Jesus more than we think he did. And this idea that has come to him fits everything that Jesus has said and taught in the last weeks. So to Peter, in those split-second moments, walking with him on the water now would be very fitting. It would fit last night. It would fit when we healed the sick. We do what he does. He does it, we participate, we partake, would fit. So there's this ad hoc meeting going on in the middle of the storm in a rocking boat with someone else standing on the water. And Peter is saying, is this possible for me? He knows it, he knows it, but... I mean, what a thought. And remember, you know a thousand times more than Peter ever knew. Ever thought about that? So you should be able to do this very easily. (laughs) I mean, get inside this man's head. Am I going crazy? Or is it a God-given boldness? In even the thoughts that he had, he is challenging everything he knows about water and gravity. He's a fisherman, remember. 
If you lived in Bandera, you might think you could walk on water, but if, if you live in Corpus Christi, you know you can't walk on water. You know, it's, it's right there. You know it. You are contradicting every human you've ever known. Every human would contradict what you're thinking. Your own family would probably disown you or lock you up. Your friends, well, my friends, they're at the other end of the boat, scared spitless. Even if I went to my rabbi, he wouldn't know a thing about this. So it's no use waiting till we go to synagogue on Sabbath day to see if I can make sense of this. He wouldn't be able to make sense of this. No friend can make sense of this. I can't make sense of this. But I am facing a challenge that is beyond anything that all my ancestors have ever thought. Since the beginning of time, we don't have any history anywhere in the history of the human race that a human being walked on water. Peter, Peter, Peter. To do what Jesus was doing introduced an entirely new world of what is possible that has never been known to humankind before. I mean, I I could push it. I mean, people have been healed before. I mean, even raised from the dead, Elijah raised the dead. So it's kind of, it's out there. Nothing like Jesus did it, but it's out there. The prophets had proclaimed the kingdom of God. That walk on water? Now that's, I don't know. Have, have you have you felt like that? You know, because I know there are some, especially those of you on Zoom, and, and you have had a religion just about where a dead Jesus speaks from the past, and you put a bracelet on to say, "What would Jesus do?" And do your best. That's it. No supernatural. Just have a jolly good try at this. And here what you've heard in the last weeks is meeting something that is on the edge of impossible. A lifestyle that really knows that Jesus is alive. And have you felt that? You see this? And here he is in the middle of chaos, on the middle of a rocking boat and spray in his face and hair dripping down the side of his face. He's saying... If you do it, you're, you're telling me there's that wink in your eye, that holy teasing. And so he shouts through the storm, soaking wet, clinging to the side rail. Uh, and I emphasize that. This, this wasn't a chat later tonight over hot chocolate to say what might have happened. This is happening right now. And it is not that rash, hot-headed Peter that we always portray him as. Jesus has already severely rebuked him about that. Peter, and it's all in seconds. 
Peter is seeing through the natural flesh wisdom or common sense. And I believe the Holy Spirit is opening his eyes. This is the beginning of the beginning of the beginning of what we now know as the gospel. It's a sliver of light that is anticipating resurrection, ascension, giving of the Spirit. That's not happened yet. But Peter's getting something. But he's not going to go any further. This is not going to be a private thing with Peter. He shouts through the storm, if it be you, you tell me to come. He submits his crazy thoughts to Jesus and he refuses to move without Jesus' invitation and his saying, yes, I witness to what you're thinking. Now get that one. All the craziness of this, Jesus said, you're right on. Do you realize the craziest thought you've had in your head of what this means to be a person that's learning that this is all union with him, participating in him. Now now carry that. And Jesus says, you're right on. Let me say it again, what this isn't. Because it's very important. Because at this point, we, we, tried, we, we are humans, and humans always try to make meaning of something. We immediately try to organize it and nail it down. And, and, and so when I say this, it is not trying to be like Jesus. This isn't Peter saying, well, Jesus is walking on the water. Uh, and my, my gospel says I've got to try and be like him. And it's not what would Jesus do, because that's the same thing. Do you realize that, trying to be like Jesus, what would Jesus do? That is underscoring I am separated from him. That Jesus is a Jesus who lived in history, and now I have got to try and imagine what he would be doing 2,000 years later, and I would try and do it, which means I'm separated from him by 2,000 years. This is not separation. And it was not Peter discovering that he's an independent God. It's not Peter saying, okay, if he can do it, I can do it. That is, it wasn't Peter looking at himself as the possessor of divine power. Jesus had the power. Jesus is the ability. Peter says, can I join in? And very interesting, this is what I've heard all week long, very interesting that having done this, Peter doesn't say, I got it. So thank you very much, Jesus. I'm now a water walker. You know, and he doesn't do this again. He doesn't even tell Mark to write it down. It's it isn't that now I've got an it. I've got this formula. 
I walked on the water. So now I can go and like I can get in my car anytime I want. No. You see, if that were the case, Peter would have given up his fishing boat. He does all his fishing now standing out in the middle of the Galilee. Well, I'm serious. If I discover a guy could fly, who needs a car? No, I'll fly down to San Antonio and enter, please. No. He understands that what is happening is only because of my relationship to him. It comes from him. I respond to him. I can't initiate this. I can't. His eyes are beginning to open to what will become Paul saying, Christ is my life, for me to live is Christ. I live, yet not I, it's Christ. But at this point in time, you've got this thing going on. And Peter makes it plain, he's not going to act except in a conscious union with Jesus. He must have Jesus enabling invitation. I think I've got it. I think I see it. But I won't move until you tell me to. And in you telling me to, I know I'll be able to do it. Everybody in that boat knew what Peter knew. They'd all been through this. What had happened last night, what had happened in previous weeks, they'd all been on. Peter wasn't the only one. And actually some of them I would trust a lot more than Peter. Nathaniel was a deep thinker. John, well, forget it. John gives us the greatest revelation of God in the whole New Testament. Um, Why didn't they all rush to the edge of the boat and say, we got it, we got it, we understand, let's come out there. We're going to have a basketball game out in the wave. Come on, let's all go. No. They don't. And they were used to acting as a team. That's what fishermen do. No. So this isn't Jesus giving a special invitation to his chosen pet. He didn't give any invitation. He's seeing what they understand. And not only what they understand, but if they will dare to act as if it's true. No, they they don't want to leave the safety zone of their leaking boat. (laughs) This is their safety, the human common sense, the limit of human possible. They believe it is him, but they do not believe that what they saw in him could become their new limits. That's what I'm scared of. People who, it's it's God. We believe it's true. But I'll give us another sermon next week and we'll think about it. No, you don't believe anything till you do it. They've listened to Jesus' teaching, but they don't want any more lab time. They want a head full of facts 
but they don't care about the experience. Or at least they believe the experience would belong to somebody more spiritual than them. It results in the lethargy of unbelief. To sit back and let somebody else do it. We'll cower with all our questions about the supernatural. We'll be content to let Jesus walk past us on the water. And let, let's have a Peter who'll be crazy enough to try to do what he says. There's always a charismatic in every bunch. And so... Did, did, they, did they roll their eyes at Peter? Horrified at what he's saying. That half-brain blabbermouth. Always talking before he thinks. But this is going too far, Peter. Now you're really showing off, you know. Actually, you're being very irreverent. To see him walking on the water, we should all kneel down and worship him and sing some worship songs. You want to turn it into a dog and pony show, you know. There's a time when worship is walking on the water. When he got back in the boat, they all worshipped him and says, you're the son of God. Peter had been the only one that really worshipped him and says, you are the son of God, and if you're the son of God, that affects me. No, you're wrong, guys. Peter is the one who is connected with the Holy Trinity's intention from before time began. One of the key words that we never talk about in the New Testament is boldness. It's a very big word in the New Testament, boldness. And it it means a freedom of speech where I can just about say anything I want and you're not going to put me down for it. It was a a word used for citizens. When you're a citizen, you can speak your mind. It is the real freedom of speech. It, it means I'm, I'm being childlike and no one's going to be angry at me. It means I'm submitting my desires. Well, that, this is boldness. Peter feels so familiar with Jesus, he can suggest something like this. And so he's wrong. Well, it's not going to be the end of the world. If you're wrong, it's not going to bring about the second coming. You know, it's... If you're wrong, it'll be a teaching moment, which actually it ended up being. But Peter's touching, touching. What Isaiah had talked about 500, 700 years before, eye has not seen, you bet it. Ear has not heard, you're right. It's never entered into the heart of man, you got it. It's happening. What Paul is going to say, he's able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we can ever think or desire or imagine. You got it. While the others reverently watch in their sheer terror from the back of the boat. So just a minute, Peter's out here on a limb. I said there's there's no scripture really to support what he's saying Jesus is not exactly inviting him. Um, Peter's inviting himself, submitting to Jesus. 
What, what is this thing we call the will of God? It seemed like all this is really up for grabs. They all could have come. They didn't. Peter wasn't invited. He suggested it. Jesus didn't say come until Peter suggested it. I mean, what, what is this will of God? I'm praying for the will of God. This, this seemed, as I said, an ad hoc meeting. Shall we go? Shall we do it? I dare. See, the will of God is not rigid. Wow. It's not robotic. Yes. It isn't, you see. I, think about it. You don't get sealed orders. Yeah. No. There's massive room for your input. Your your boldness that you've picked up from the Holy Spirit. Yeah, you're risking, you're daring. And if it's wrong, Jesus is so wonderful, he never condemns you. I think he rather enjoys it and, and turns it right around for a teaching moment that could never have been unless you had... And the people who have ever asked in the will of God, well, by the time you discover the will of God, it will be too late to do it, you know. And we, we had a chap in Bible school like that. Oh, dear Lord. The, the first day we got there, he was, his prayer request, he would know the will of God because there was a girl that he wanted to marry, but he didn't know if it was the will of God. Two years later, he was still asking the will of God, but she got married to somebody else. It's that's the stupidity of religion. Stupid. No. When Peter asked, if it be you, bid me come, Jesus is delighted at Peter's reply. Without hesitation, he says, come, come. Like, have a moonlight walk with me on the water. This is going to be fun. Let's do the impossible together. You learn to participate in my life. That's all he said. Come, go for it. Obviously, Jesus saw Peter walking on the water. He didn't, there's no, well, Peter, I think it might work, but... You know, if you've got that kind of boldness, we'll pray about this together, you know. <laughs> but I mean, don't you ever stop and ask these things? You know? No, if Jesus said, come, immediately, no ifs, buts, perhaps is, come. It meant that Jesus knew this. He it's a setup, as I said, he was teasing. And now Peter's taken the bait and Jesus is delighted. Come, it's gonna it's gonna happen. He's invited by that by coming, he's inviting Peter to see as he sees. He sees him walking on the water. Okay, Peter, if I see it and you feel the come on. And so Peter saw himself doing the walk he he didn't say to have a try and how do I know that the way he got out of the boat if you've ever been in a boat 
and you're going to leave the boat and get in the water. Well, I can't swim. I've only seen people do this. But you go into the water in a fashion that means I know I'm going to go through that water and be swimming. That's how you leave a boat when you're in the middle of the lake. When we're at dockside, now I do know about this. When you're at dockside, it's entirely different. I don't plunge over onto the dock. I put one leg over because I know it will be solid and then I can bring the rest of my body with it. In the middle of this chaotic moment, it says that Peter got out of the boat and walked. That means he didn't go as if to swim. He went deliberately one leg over the side. He's in trouble if it doesn't go. Did you understand? He was absolutely certain. And he walked on the water. I checked on this. Well, not an exhaustive check, but I went to Google to see all the pictures that had been painted of Peter walking on the water. And every one of those pictures of Peter walking on the water was a picture of him sinking and Jesus There's not one piece of art out there showing two people walking on the water. You know why? Because all the artists were dominated by religious that said, now now, be human about this. Obviously, he walked on the water only to sink. Of course he would sink. That's the end of the story. No, he didn't. He walked on the water. He walked on the water. He got out of the boat and walked on the water. And he went to Jesus. And by the time he was sinking, he was so close to Jesus that Jesus could just reach. So he walked on the water. Okay. And as he walked on the water, he didn't embark on a private journey wandering through the waves. And think about that. This isn't something... That he's now, okay, I've got it. I can walk on water. Um, I'm going to have a go through that trough of waves and I'll come out the other side and I'll catch up with Jesus over there. He's walking on the water. Why? Because he's got his eyes riveted on Jesus. And in the mystery of the power of God, which I can't explain scientifically, obviously, but the mystery is that from Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, all that he is is actually put inside of us. I live, yet not I, it's Christ. And so Jesus says, come. And it meant, come to me. And the scripture says, and Peter walked Toward Jesus. That word is in the Greek, pros. It's pros. He got out the boat and face to face to Jesus. He, He was held, drawn, enabled by the smiling face of Jesus. 
They were across the waves. They were face to face. And that's why he was oblivious. Storm is howling around his ears and the platform of the water that he's standing on is moving, but it's beside the point. He's, he's caught up in another seeing, yeah. seeing of Jesus. He's oblivious of the nature of what's happening. So he walked on the water in a relationship to Jesus. He is sharing in the life of Jesus by Jesus actually giving it to him in that relationship. So Peter hasn't found the secret of water walking. As I said a few minutes, he's not going to do this every day. Peter has not discovered latent power that he has, and now I can walk on water. No, when they got back in the boat, they worshipped Jesus. They didn't fall at Peter's feet and say, you got it too. Or to put it this way, you never graduate from the face-to-face relationship. There's never a day when he'll shake your hand and say, well, now you're on your own. You no longer need me. You got it. Such things, if they are said, is because you're talking about formulas. If you say you got it, that's a formula. Be careful even of the word message. It's not a message. It's a person. It's not a formula. It's a person. It's not what would Jesus do, it's what are you doing. (laughs) It's right there. Mm -hmm. And Jesus himself said that when you got this, in that day when the Holy Spirit comes, that which was just a seed with Peter, just the beginning of an understanding, blooms when the Holy Spirit came. And Jesus said, when that happens, you will know that I am in my Father. Yes. And in there is the, the key word. He said, I'm in my Father. That is, Jesus is God who has become one of us so completely that he says, I and the Father. That oneness that is ours has now been to a human. Yes. And a human is in the Father. But he said, at the same time, you will know that I am in you. That is, this, listen to this, the same way that Jesus is in the Father is the same way he's in you. Yes. And the same way you are in him. Yes. It's a complete union. The unity of the Holy Spirit uh, it, it leads us to the, uh, the Holy Trinity. That, uh, that as the Father is in the Son, the Son is in the Father, and that in the Holy Spirit We're now included into that. He brought the human into that. But that, Jesus, has said again and again, of my own self, I can do nothing. I only do what I see my father do. I only say what I hear my father say. He never, ever said, I reach into my divinity 
in order to do this. He says, Father, without you, I can do nothing. Peter never discovered power in himself to do it. His power that he was experiencing was face to face across the waves. So you say, well, is this really ours then? You know, if, if I can do nothing by myself, do I ever receive a gift at all? Or is it just legalism? You know, it's a paper in heaven somewhere that says he gave it to us. You got, you missed it. Thank you for asking the question, but you missed it. I'm not talking about an it that you got or not got. It is Jesus himself through the Holy Spirit actually living in us. And that wasn't your idea, nor did you do anything to help make it happen. It is God's purpose from before creation. It is God the Son taking your humanity. My only contribution is I was lost as a goose and he came and found me. That's my contribution. I didn't ask him to come. I didn't know he was coming. He came. And whether I like it or not, he found me. It's a person, not an it. And that person living in me is what I was always intended to be as a human being. Which means I can never think of myself as being without him. That is now my humanity. My humanity is Christ in me. Yes, yes. We were talking about it the other day among the guys. You know, people say, well, you know, I'm only human. That's to excuse a whole massive weakness belief. No, you're not. When you're really human, Christ himself is living his life in you. When you are weak and helpless and don't know where to turn, that's not being human. That's being less than human. It's because you haven't discovered what it is to be human. No, this is, this is really ours because it isn't to this. It's the person who of his initiative came to live in us. So it is. So being alive is he, so in me it's a seamless union, and that's the true human me. That's where this led to. But then what happened? He had a second thought. Never trust a second thought. He suddenly was shocked at himself. Yeah. He forgot the affirming call of Jesus. He looked at the waves and the wind like he was just a fisherman. Mm. That is, he turned from pros yes, yes. to Jesus to pros to the wind and the waves. Oh. 
He had the solid evidence of the spray in his face and the movement of the waves underneath him. That's evidence. And he was prose to it. That's all he could see face to face with it. Everything in his head screamed, you're daft, you can't do this. Because flesh believes in the winds and the flesh believes in the waves. And that's why all of religious art pictures him drowning. They're all saying, let's get human here. But no, Jesus reached out and saved him. And they ambled back to the boat, arm in arm. So again, he walked on the water back to the boat. (laughs) And Jesus turned it into a teaching moment. He said, oh, Peter, where's your faith, man? Why did you doubt? And I've told you before, doubt is one of those English words that comes from Anglo-Saxon, I think. doesn't matter. But D-O-U-B-T. English is weird. Doubt. And we put a B in there. Doubt. Do you know why? Because it comes from another word. And the other word is double. D-O-U-B, D-O-U-B. T is doubt, L-E, double. Doubt is being double-minded. Doubt is a second thought. I've got two thoughts here. And what am I going to do? Which way do I go? It, um, Jesus said, why did you doubt? You had suddenly two thoughts. There was what you know, pros to me or pros to the wind. And he puts it pretty plainly that it was Peter's choice that he would receive from the wind and the wave, which all he could receive was fear, or he could receive from Jesus the ability that got him there. You know, in a very short time, very short time after this, Jesus is really going to unwrap all of this. We call it the upper room discourse when Jesus talked on the night he was betrayed. Have you ever thought that you and I have been called to do something that is as impossible as walking on water, as a lifestyle. Actually, in the big picture, walking on the water isn't very important. Um, I've had people, lots of them actually, say when, when we've really got this together and we really understand who we are, we'll just walk on the water. Well, you must, I suppose it'd be... I've never had the desire is, you know, why would you do it? I tell you this, so something equal in impossibility to walking on the water, if not more impossible, 
is what Jesus said was to be our lifestyle. He said, love one another as I have loved you. Love one another with the love of the Holy Trinity. Now we're talking. Now, now that has got importance to it. If I walk on the water, I wouldn't know really what to do with it anyway. But love one another as I have loved you. Mm-hmm. Fascinating, isn't it? You go into the midst of religion and they will have, you know, if you're going to join this church, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do that. You must do this, you must do that. You look in any one of them, and I have, because I've traveled for 70 years looking into many churches. What would it take to join this church? It covers everything that the Bible doesn't bother with. You know, everything. That the Bible doesn't bother with. There's no, Bible doesn't talk about it. And how many have I, you know, said to the pastors, I didn't notice anywhere here that we're members of your church who are going to love one another with the love of God. It's not there. And they, they look at me confused. They say, why did you bring that up? You know, it's... But he didn't only say that. He says, my joy I give to you. Mm, and what about the peace of God that passes human comprehension? And Jesus saying, my peace I give to you. And then whether we like it or not, he said the works... That word is miracles. I do, you shall do also, and greater works than these shall you do. Where's that in the list of membership? You know, this was just the beginning of the introduction to the preface of the first volume. It was Peter was just getting it. Jesus expanded on it. For you... To be in a fellowship of other human beings and love them as God has loved you equals walking on the water and a million times more. To have a divine joy that has nothing to do with happenings, the joy of God, to have total peace in a storm of anxiety. Now we're talking. But you see what you're doing. You you are receiving his life. He didn't say, try and love like me. He said, you love, same way as you feed the multitude. Do it. And do it with with the love that I've loved you. So I love you and you take it and you you become now the one through whom it flows. So, throw off lethargy. I I don't know. To me, lethargy is a very potent word. It's um, usually you're you're sick if you're lethargic. Uh There's many that... to, To hear the dimension of life in Christ and yawn and say, yeah, one of these days, or, or it's okay for you, but, you know, lethargy. As I say, then the image of Christianity is students. 
commentaries, learning, students, endless conferences. I remember back in the 1970s in the charismatic days when people went meeting after meeting. And as I went to this meeting, and then I'd go 100 miles away for another meeting, and they're the same people were in that meeting. I said, you know, Christians have reduced themselves to one great big ear. I said, you're just an ear. Here, here, here. The Holy Spirit says, awake you who sleep. Come and stand on the side of the boat and through the screaming wind shout, can I do this too? And hear his excited, yes, let's do it together. That is living in the name of Jesus. Now that's another message, but I had to say it here, that If I look within myself for some whatever that enables me to do this and pray and be, then I am praying in the name of my own self. Which means I don't need him. He taught me. Thank you very much. I graduated. Now I enter into my own wonder. I enter into my own divinity and say it is so. And if you think I made that up, you can find that chap on the web. Um, I've heard him say it over and over again, coming out of Colorado Springs. Yeah, to say, when you pray, he says, you enter into your own divinity, and then and you feel that expressing and filling the whole earth. Um, and a lot of people believe that's just wonderful. But what he's doing, he's praying in the name of his own divinity. When I pray in the name of Jesus, it means I am doing this because I am joined with Jesus. I'm hopeless without him, but he initiated this. He stuck us together. And now when I pray, he prays. When he prays, I pray. When I lay my hands on the sick, he's doing it too. I'm living from him. And everything I am or that I have is that constant face-to-face I have nothing in and of myself. It flows into me from him. It flows out of me in his authority. That's living in the name of Jesus. It's not just a a phrase you use at the end of a prayer or when you lay hands on people. It's a recognition. And actually, if you don't recognize it, you shouldn't say it anyway. And if you do recognize it, sometimes you don't need to say it. It's because it describes a person who lives from Jesus And everything I am is him. And he has poured that into me through the Holy Spirit. And that's where we live. And it is mine because I'm so one with him, it will never be broken. So that's me. I live, Christ lives. So it is. We've been trained. We have, all of us, been trained to huddle with the other disciples in the back of the boat, terrified of real supernatural, a terrible lethargy, afraid of the presence of the living Jesus and us actually living in him, from him. And when we pray, or what we call prayer, it's a mouthful of self-hate. It's words of self-condemnation, telling God how wretched I am and no good, trying to convince God he should reject and punish us. 
And they call it prayer. Um, it's not prayer. Peter prayed on the edge of the boat there. That's prayer. What wave in my life and your life is he walking on? And we're waking up to realize we can participate and partake of that life. Do the same as him. For me to live is Christ, and as he is, so am I. Well, that's it. I'm, I'm done. Father, open the eyes of our understanding. Because this is too big for us. It really is. Teach us that you are really serious, that we live the impossible in living you. And bring to our realization, open our eyes to see the the unbelievable power of our being able to do nothing outside of you. Teach us to live in your name, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Amen.